0: Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nicholas Investment Insights. This week, our focus turns to the rising risk of global and local inflation. Inflation is a phenomenon central banks have long desired and tried to engineer. If prices are rising, then presumably so are incomes. Sustained inflation also erodes large household debt burdens. There are always risks that an unexpected spike could catch investors off guard and lead to sharp declines in the value of investments that have benefited from low rates. Over the last week, there's been a sharp rise in yields as existing bonds were sold off, forcing investors in all asset classes to sit up and take notice. For now at least, inflationary inflationary risk is the most important and talked about issue in financial markets. Locally, the 0.9% headline inflation rate for the October-December quarter was higher than market forecasts of 0.7%, largely because of higher costs of pandemic-related childcare, alcohol and domestic holidays and accommodation. Whether this continues in post-COVID Australia remains the question. So, will record low interest rates, pandemic-level monetary and fiscal stimulus, along with surging asset prices, translate into long-term inflationary pressures? And what are the cyclical versus structural components? Here to share his thoughts on whether the emerging inflation risk is real or just a mirage, I'm joined by Nucleus Wells Head of Investments, Damien Classen. Hello to you, Damien. Hi, Tim. And also joining us on the line, we have our Chief Strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. Hello to you, David.
1: Hello, Tim.
0: Good to have you on. And just a quick reminder that before we get started, if you haven't already, subscribe and click the notification bell to be notified of when we go live or have a new webinar to watch or follow us on your preferred podcast platform. We also ask if you'd like to take a moment to click like on the video now to help our show grow. And for those listening in live, feel free to drop in your questions in the YouTube live stream chat to have them answered along the way. So we'll jump into our agenda for today. We're going to kick off with some inflation factors. We're going to then roll around to some thoughts on deflation factors. Uh, we'll then uh, answer the question of the day, I guess, how to invest in inflation and then roll out as we always do with our investment outlook and how these themes impact the portfolios here at Nucleus Wealth. So no further ado, we'll kick off with our inflation factors. Returning to trend, Damien. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll grab
2: this one. Um what I wanted to show, and I've got two two charts on there. One on the on the left uh, is just showing a an, an economy that a low inflation economy. Um, one that's running at at one and a half percent inflation. And what I'm sort of showing here is is if that was the trend line where where inflation was just going to um, be you know, below the the RBA's band um, quite considerably. Um, but that was a trend we were on, because and effectively that that's a trend we've been on for a number of years. Um, but then we had a one-year dropping back into into deflation, and then returning to trend after that. Uh, what what would happen is that one year where you're returning to trend, um, you're going to get four and a half percent inflation, mm. and so it's going to look like you've got this high inflation economy, um, but you're really just returning back to your old sort of low inflation trend. And that's that's what we think. Um, that's a, that's our base case for how we're expecting this to play out. Is that um, we've had deflation for a year. Um, and and then we're just gonna return back to trend. Um, but uh, it's still gonna be yeah, yeah, but you're gonna get this one off um sort of kicker. And and whether it's in one year or whether it's spread out over two years is probably, you know, a little bit more likely. Um, but it's all those all those things where people sort of cut their prices or, or whatever to, to to try and keep the volumes up for that, that year of COVID and then just return their prices back to where they were or or, you know, with a little bit um little bit of inflation worked in. And so, yeah, so that's – the biggest factor on inflation is is that, and that's what we're um, – yeah, so we're certainly expecting prints of, of 3% plus. Um, and uh, so I think what we've been saying, you know, as a broad sense is uh, there's a lot of people out there who have been um, – Promising inflation for years and years and years, and saying that you know all this central bank money is going to lead to hyperinflation and the governments won 't be able to keep it under control and yields are going to skyrocket and all these sort of dire threats, um, all those people are going to get their day in the sun because uh, over the next six to twelve months it 's going to look like we 're in an economy with lots of inflation, mm-hmm. and for them um, you know we 're going to see on newspapers and and financial media and and um, you know blogs and all that type of stuff. All those people saying, "Hey, look, I was right. You know, I was finally right." All that government spending, um, you know, came home to roost. And, and look out, now we're going. You know, this inflation's entrenched and it's going to be there forever. And Why so, republic? That's right. Was well, Zimbabwe? <laughs> take your pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's so so each of these uh, trends. That's of the inflation factors. Um, you know, we'll, we'll run through each of them because um, there's a, there's a whole bunch of other ones that we've got. But the, the thing you will notice is, is most of them are, are like this in that there is a one-off effect and then it fade. But we've got a lot of one-off effects all hitting at the same time. So, um, yeah, okay. so maybe we go to the next, sure. the next one. Um, uh, I might pass this across to you, Dave. So commodity prices.
1: Yeah, well, at the moment we're clearly in what is a typical post-recession commodity reflation cycle that's uh, got a couple of different dimensions to it. One is, as you see the global recovery rebound, you almost always see a weak u s dollar uh, and that uh, tends to inflate has a have a have a financial impact on commodity prices as the dollar falls and they're priced in dollars, so the commodities go up. Uh, we've also had a year of reasonably robust Chinese stimulus to keep uh, bulk commodities um, in, in good shape. Uh, oil has been absolutely brutalised obviously through COVID and uh, you know, that's shut down all sorts of uh, stuff on the supply side from OPEC keeping 8 million barrels a day offline to uh, US shalers dropping output by about 2 million barrels a day and now we, we have uh, some rebounding energy as well, energy demand. Uh, And that'll continue through the year with travel returning. Uh, And we have some other things going on, excuse me, like we had uh, an inventory cycle globally, which has kept uh, goods production very high, uh, which again, you know, is is creating lots of demand for uh, commodity inputs. Uh, and, and more recently, over the last, you know, month or two, we've had this huge spook suddenly emerge from Wall Street, uh, telling everybody that inflation is coming, that this is a new commodity super cycle, uh, in inverted commas. And so there's then uh, on the back of all those previous trends, you get a big financial flow uh, of people into commodities who are looking to hedge inflation. Mm. Um, via holding hard assets, yeah,
2: and that's that's important because a number of um, a number of our indexes are reporting just massive volumes of, of people buying them, and so obviously if you're if, if you're seeing copper, the copper price, for example, spike up, um, because there's a whole bunch of people out there using copper, then that's a good thing for the commodity over the, over the longer term. Um, good thing for the commodity price of the longer mm. term. Um, if you're seeing though the price spike up because there's a whole bunch of speculators who are all jumping in trying to front run um, demand they're expecting to come. That's obviously a worse um, scenario because you know the, the prices will be higher, so not as much demand will come. E- even if the demand was ever going to come at the level they're expecting, and so and at some stage those financial um, speculators are going to get out. They're not they're mm. not going to sit there and hold. Um, you know, these these commodities that that, that actually cost some money to, to hold on to, they're not yeah. going to hold them for years and years and years. At some stage they've got to get out whereas the person who's actually buying it to use it, um, you know, that's a, that's obviously a, a lot more of a, a solid case. Mm. Um, yeah. so I mean, you At, at the moment
1: we've got what you might describe as a virtuous cycle going in commodities. Mm-hmm. To me it just looks like a regular post-recession uh, reflation and recovery uh, but you know, you do have this uh, this virtuous cycle in, in which rising commodity prices drive inflation, which drives financial flows into commodities.
2: Yeah, that's and, right.
1: Which is also could be characterised as something of a Ponzi scheme. Uh, and I don't think it will last because well, we'll come back to that later. But for the time being, if you look at this chart, you will see that uh, the broader commodity indexes have basically doubled over the year. And so that gives you immense uh inflationary impacts in terms of base effects mm. from and, from year to year. So yeah. this is very inflationary right now.
2: Yeah. And I've got two other ones for this. Is one is the um uh no, no, sorry back on that back on the commodities still. Uh one is that the commodities are um there's been a there's been a, a uh a shift towards goods rather than the services. So, as as economies have locked down, and you know, hairdressers and manicures and and things like that, people have and travel. People haven't been able to haven't been able to do that. There's been more um, spending on um, real uh, goods on real goods. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because that's that's all people can do. So, so that's sort of that's led to a greater commodity demand than than what you might see otherwise. Yes. And um, you know, people whether it's doing up their houses or buying new laptops or you know things like that you, you can expect that you know, th- there will be a fade off in terms of that and the other factor is um especially for for copper which is sort of often driven as as one of these ones there's there's been this whole um there's been this real sort of push into ev uh, uh, electric vehicles and uh led by tesla as as, as a you know this is going to be um you know it's now X the last couple of days, but for it made Elon Musk you know, the richest person in the world for a little bit and, it, and uh, you know, Tesla was worth more than every other car uh, manufacturer on the planet put together. Um, you've seen that same go right throughout the electric vehicle space, whether it be lithium or, or, or whatever, and copper has been one of those beneficiaries of that. So it's like this, um, you know, all of a sudden, copper in a way has been like a tech play. It's like a you know, not only are technology stocks going up, but but stocks related to them have been as well. And so that's where and that and that we think is 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 an unsustainable um um yeah, it's unsustainable in terms of it. Uh, because basically all, although uh electric vehicles do use way more copper than a than a um a traditional vehicle, about five times as much. Um, the problem is uh there's actually not that many electric vehicles being being put out at the moment and even if you um and, and vehicles just aren't a big um source of uh sorry aren't a big user of copper anyway it's sort of 10 percent, 10 to 12 percent of, of global copper is actually used in in um in vehicles and so when you sort of do the maths there's there's only a few percent per year extra copper needed in order to even if you had a, an extremely bullish view on on the rollout of electric vehicles, you just do not need that much copper mm-hmm. relative to the total size of the um the copper market every year. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All
0: right,
2: very yeah. good. So that's that's commodities. Um I'll, I'll let you go with this one too, Dave. Let's supply, jump across to the supply, supply. supply disruptions.
1: Uh yeah, that one that sort of segues into this, I guess, were we, you're discussing uh, the, this uh, shift last year from services spending to, to goods in all the developed economies. Uh, and that, that's more or less hit, uh, uh, been something of a supply shock uh, for global freight. And so on this next page, we've got uh, incredibly high freight rates right around the world uh, because, you know, these containers are, are whizzing around the world at, at a furious pace trying to deliver all of these extra goods uh, combined, of course, with, you know, some COVID disruptions to shipping, <clears throat> excuse me. And then there's a second chart here as well, which is showing that, uh, you know, industrial production and manufacturing uh, around the world has, is struggling to keep pace with this demand at the moment. And so, you uh, you know they've also got uh, blowing out delivery times at, at the same time they've got high demand and they can't do- deliver the goods quick enough, and they've got cost input inflation from commodities, uh, and so all of these things combining are again very inflationary short term.
2: And you know there's a the car industry is one that sort of hit the headlines you know in a lot of places recently because basically they cancelled a lot of their orders for for semiconductors um last year because they thought demand was going to be terrible and then demand bounced back really quickly and they've gone to make their all their orders but the factory are already full, full building you know, laptops things. and all these other things <laughs> and so they just can't get the they they can't get the the, and the chips and also the to, to sort of do the runs they're expecting it's not just like a turn the light switch on it's like mm. no no you have to set up your your production run for it and and, and so um you know it's a great example of you know you've got a you've got this car that you've put together you know it's a you've got your BMW that's um, you know cost you thousands of dollars to put together but um, you're missing say that the the chip to to push your seat backwards and forwards on your on your um, your, your electric positioning hmm. of your seat and that's it you can't you sell your car yeah, right. you've sort of you know you've got this whole big car every other part but you've, you're missing that one part um, because. You know, you you didn't order it, or, and now they they they're backlogged, and they they can't get enough out. Um, yeah, so that's uh, yeah, that's and that's affecting. I mean, the cars the cars one's definitely the worst. Well, sorry, not definitely the worst, but the, the highest profile are the worst ones. But um,
0: there are you know a, a number of other cases where where that's happening as well. Just on that, um, so the top right chart there, we can see um, uh, longer delivery times for the uh, US, UK, and the Eurozone, and yet Japan seems to have sort of steadied out. Is there any any thought on why Japan doesn't seem to have been probably
1: uh, probably because of it. probably because it's an exporter, I would guess. Like they've thought
0: ahead, got the
1: um, got the well, uh, uh, well, I, I suppose I'm I'm assuming that a lot of their uh, output would go domestically, but um, that's not necessarily the case either. They're a big exporter, so. yeah, and, and, and they're and, also and... a huge commodity importer. So, I, no, actually, I don't have an explanation for that. Yeah,
2: and the, I guess, and the other thing is, they haven't been as nowhere near as hard hit by uh, coronaviruses as um, mm. as US or Europe. But but yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not yes. sure either. Smaller market, I guess, as well. Yeah, I'm guessing in it's I'm guessing it's a mixture of those ones,
0: but it's worth, probably worth having a bit more of a closer look. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, fair enough. Very good. All done on supply disruption, fellas. Yep. Jump across yep. to uh, our in- inflation factors. Cyclical first off the yeah so, so we split them
2: into two different types one is the cyclical which is just the shorter term um factors that are sort of more one off and then um the second part is the um the structural changes which are sort of ongoing um changes so so the first one this changes in consumption following covid um i guess what i'm talking about here is uh everyone's been put through these these changes in terms of uh how you how are you can do things? Maybe you're maybe you're eating out more. Sorry, you, you're getting more deliveries than what you used to. Um, you know, you're not shopping as much um, in person. You might have changed to maybe not go to the gym as much and, and buy more gym equipment at home, or or just other other factors that have all changed in terms of how people are doing things and just the different allocation of how they're spending their time. Mm-hmm. And what that tends to mean is that there are companies out there that are suffering from um, lack of demand. And there's other ones that have got too much demand just because people have changed their preferences as to as to how they do things. Or it's more available. Yeah. And that just tends to that tends to you get this friction in the economy, which tends to create a bit of inflation when you have it, just as the the people who are now more attractive or now more getting more demand start putting their prices up. Um and they're getting lots of pe- lots more people using them and the people who are are um you're losing or dropping their prices or firing people. And it just takes a little bit of time to to sort of rebalance the economy and higher, higher away. But so it's, it's, it's a relatively short-term effect, but mm-hmm. it does happen. And it could, you know, there could be a year or two years play in terms of um, just seeing that, that inflationary factor come through and, and, and other ones as well in terms of um, you know, let's say it's a, you know, the demand for exercise bikes, and so because the demand shot up, um, you know, the people who are selling exercise bikes um, are ha- more than happy to sell them at say $100 a hundred bucks a pop, but because there's so much demand, they've, they've upped the price to 150 so that they can, you know, I guess ration the, the ones that they have. And at the same time, they're increasing their production as much as possible because they want to sell as many as they can at 150. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see over the next year, a couple of years, that 150 will end up back at a hundred because the reality is at hundred dollars, they're willing to, Produce as many of these as possible, and maybe even they're you know if they're producing more, maybe the price is only now they can sell it at ninety dollars because they're actually you know they've doubled their production runs, and so their their unit costs are a bit lower. But but there's a short term you know one hundred and fifty, and then that's going to come back down um, to to where it was, and and that's why we're calling a cyclical change in in um, in inflation, and we're very much expecting to to continue to see that. So we've seen it already, and we're expecting that to to, to keep going.
1: Hmm. Okay, So and we excuse me we'd expect basically as economies reopen that that big uh, spike in goods demand will reorient steadily back towards services mm. uh, you know this is this is what people last year were describing as the k-shaped recovery where you mm. have all the all the stuff that benefits from stay at home is in the upper arm of the K and all the stuff all the uh, economic activity. Uh, relevant to the to going out is in the bottom arm of the K. And and those two basically, as as conditions normalise, mobility normalises, the vaccines take effect, the two arms should converge. And so as Damo says, you know, what are inflated prices now will actually then hit um, uh, demand that's returning to trend, if you like. It's mm. a lot of that spending. And expand the supply. Yes, and expand the supply. And so a lot of the um uh the gap between those two arms of the K will just converge.
2: Uh yeah, the next one then inventory cycle rebuild. So um I think David already touched a little bit on this, but basically the idea is that if um when you're rebuilding the the inventory cycle, it's and so yeah the, the simple version is uh if you're selling couches and you, you've got ten ten couches in your on your floor and and um you know, you, you get in 10 every month and then, um, all of a sudden there's this demand shock and you only, you only have five couches, in, you only sell five couches. So, so that, that month you actually, you know, you only order another five couches. Sorry. You still get your order of 10 couches in there. Now I've got 15 couches on my, on my floor. Cause I, cause I didn't sell as much as I, I think now I can actually go a month without, without any. And so without, so I go to zero sort of, um, ordering from my manufacturer. So he's really suffered. Um, then demand goes – and i am said, oh, okay, cut it back to five five per month after that. So that sort of sets me up. I'm back to my 10 on my store and I'm only selling five per month. Now when I go back to buying – to, to um, actually selling 10, what happens is I actually sell my entire inventory. And so I go, now I actually need – not only do I need a, another 10 couches, but I also need an extra 10 next, to, to next fill month. for next month. Yep. So I've <coughs> actually gone to double the, the, the amount. And, and so there's this inventory cycle Plus, where –
1: Plus, you yeah. might actually sell fifteen because you've got pent up demand right. coming back in.
2: Yeah, and so so, so you get this supercharged um, effect in terms of your your inventory cycle, and um, and very much the, the the retailers, you know, he's gone from selling ten to selling five and then back to selling fifteen or whatever. So so it's been quite volatile. But the, the guy on the other end, the, the manufacturer has gone really volatile because they might have gone to zero for a few months production. Mm. And then they might have ramped up to 20 or 30, you know, to, to, to fill this gap. And so um, before sort of fading back to the, 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 the 10 again. And so, um, yeah, that inventory cycle rebuild is, can be a, a significant effect on, on economies.
1: Yeah, it's very typical of a, of a recession and post-recession recovery. The inventory yeah. cycle actually plays a critical role in first hitting GDP, industrial output and GDP, and then uh, supercharging it out of that um, dip.
2: Mm. Then, then you got the government stimulus, and, and I guess what I'm talking about here in terms of cyclical side is... Um, is <laughs> is it, it cyclical anymore, government stimulus? Yeah, that's right, structure is a structure change, yeah. But I, mean, <laughs> I guess in terms of, I guess what I'm thinking is, in terms of employment if if you've got um uh if you've got the government giving people money who aren't doing anything and they're out there spending that money then effectively you've got you know you've still got hundred percent of your economy uh, people in there out spending money but you've only got ninety percent of them working mm-hmm. and then so that means there's there's more demand for the for the goods that are out there and sort of push starts to push up prices and then as the people start to work again um that that sort of that sort of comes off. So, so there's some of that is in terms of government stimulus, and we're certainly seeing, you know, there's another round in the US coming. Um, most other, uh, most European countries still have uh, a fair support for for um, mm. in terms of uh, in terms of stimulus. So, it's so the next one, and then the final cyclical factor, and then we'll, I'll let Dave do the uh, structural ones. Is a lower, and, and this is for the US in particular, not not for other countries, but the lower US dollar. So, the higher your currency, um, the the cheaper it is for you, your people to buy. For your citizens to buy, um, x ex- imports. Yep. Um, you get so more, get more
0: more widgets with the same amount. Yeah. yeah.
2: So it's so a high currency equals lower inflation, and a low currency equals higher inflation. Yep. And the U.S. dollar has been going down quite significantly, and so um, within the U.S., you're going to see um, a bit of inflation just from that um, lower U.S. dollar.
1: Mm. Well, it does uh, create inflation worldwide, though, too, which is it. It just. It's all part of the whole commodity cycle that we discussed earlier, the lower US dollar sends up commodity prices, mm. uh, which really helps lift the the entire emerging market complex. It sends capital outwards from the US into all of the higher risk jurisdictions, so it inflates a lot of asset prices and stuff as well. This is all uh, part and parcel with a typical cycle. Uh, so... The lower US dollar is very reflationary uh, for the world uh, and it is particularly inflationary for the US. But that only lasts so long. And uh, if we um, get further into the discussion on the US dollar, the, this cycle is a bit atypical uh, in that it's basically on amphetamines. It's been super super quick from the beginning we had a super quick crash as the virus came in we had a super quick crash up as the stimulus came in we had a super quick inventory cycle and rebuild Uh, even as the virus went through second and third waves that transpired Mm. Uh, and we've had this US dollar go down really fast and this super quick commodity super cycle again in inverted commas. Like, this is normally like years and years in the making, and it's all transpired within 12 months. Uh, and so, I'm skeptical now that the US dollar can keep falling for the reason for a number of reasons, but uh, problem, the principal one is that. Uh, As this accelerated cycle moves forward, the US economy is shaping for this absolute super boom over the next 18 months, possibly two years, because it's got everything firing at once. All of its rebound and recovery dynamics that we've already discussed, huge fiscal stimulus, much bigger than anywhere else, especially Europe. Uh, We all know about uh, incredibly low and generous monetary policy, that's suppressing yields in everything, including you know really high-risk assets, meaning debts freely available to corporates. Mm. Um, its stock markets going nuts. Its housing markets going nuts. Its consumer has been had a just an absolute helicopter drop of cash, um, something like two trillion in excess savings that can be run down. Uh, and so, you know, this is just a glowing kind of. Uh, some people are worried about overheating US boom that's coming. Uh, its vaccine rollout is much better than Europe. And so typically mm. uh, the US dollar falls because Europe, you know, is going to bounce out of out of the recession really well too. Uh, but it looks like the US is just going to completely outperform Europe this time around. And so I, I'm getting quite sceptical that the US dollar actually can fall much further because its yields are rising and should, should keep rising for faster than anywhere else um, and its growth outperformance will make it quite tough for the US dollar to keep falling. So again, uh, it's it's very much a cyclical part of inflation and then the moment the US dollar stops falling, you get the reverse of everything we just discussed, which is <laughs> US, inflation, well, US inflation <laughs> starts to get capped, um, commodity prices come off emerging markets start to lose capital, like, you know, the whole thing just so it suddenly just gets a big handbrake pulled on it. Um, so this mm-hmm. is why we see the US dollar as a cyclical component as the current inflation pulse. I mean, it's an ongoing debate about how how much lower it can get, but it's definitely a cyclical factor.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay right Very good. structural yeah well just before we do that i'll just um just quick note to those listening in feel free to drop in any questions in the chat box as well in the youtube uh, live chat box but yeah let's jump across to the structural factors i'll, I'll leave you to run through these ensuring in strategic goods
1: <laughs> sure uh, well obviously the pandemic um has underlined to various governments around the world that their supply chains are vulnerable to shocks that they never really considered uh and in various strategic goods. So that could be anything from, uh, I guess, medical supplies uh, through to semiconductors, all sorts of different things. And so we're going to see some onshoring of those supply chains over the next few years as governments seek to shore up the risk, especially given the virus uh, is likely to be an ongoing issue uh, in, you know, whether managed or to what, to whatever degree it's managed it's unlikely to entirely just disappear uh, and so that means you know some of those things are, are going to be more expensive to produce because they were they were globalized because of global supply chains and and Obviously, specialisation, etc., all of those, those capitalist factors that meant that these things could be produced more cheaply elsewhere and be shipped in, but you can't rely on those things always when there's a, a world that's got pandemics. Uh, so that will be, you know, m- inflationary at the margin in some things, uh, and that will be permanent because you're yeah. actually shifting the cost base. Yeah. On Sorry, go on.
2: Yeah, with with. With the disclaimer as well that there'll be other ones where uh the onshoring is going to be uh largely automated, so you're sort of moving from say a, a quite a manual process in china or or or, or um, sort of a developing country to a to quite an automated process say in the u s which might be inflationary initially, but um once you've got it, chances are that that's going down in cost over time so yeah. it um technology technological costs tend to reduce yes. um every year and so quite possibly um well you might see you know a bit of inflation coming through from that sort of over the next four or five years because it's that's not like a um that's not like a oh we've decided to to shore a lot of our say semiconductor which which is one you know the US is targeting let's do it and then next month you know they they've got a factory up and running and they're pumping them out that's sort of a four or five year um, build factories, get them up to speed, start trans- you know, start transferring, and all that type of stuff. Like that's a, that, that's not a quick change. But yeah. once once you're through that period, quite possibly there's a a bigger deflationary push, you know, four or five years down the track from that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, now related to that, I guess I just jump down to number four because it fits. Chinese I mean we're going to see ongoing supply chains coming out of China for obvious reasons with the Cold War frictions going nowhere, uh, they'll persist uh, their stru- a structural change. So, uh, that will be marginally inflationary, although again, um, a great deal of those and probably the vast bulk of them, will, those supply chains will reorient to other emerging markets. Uh, for say for the for US imports they'll likely shift to to jurisdictions that are much more clearly within, you know, the US kind of security umbrella, if you like. Mexico perhaps. Mexico. Yeah, Mexico or Southeast Asia. Uh, hmm. and so that's not necessarily particularly inflationary, but it's part of the onshoring kind of trend, uh, and may maybe a little bit at the margin as well.
2: Yep. And one um, of the ones actually it sort of fits sort of into this probably yeah, more struct- more cyclical that we didn't really talk about in terms of inventories, but um, it's the filling out of, um, you know, there was this whole just-in-time um, view on terms of you, you get your parts made and you get them delivered just before you need them and very much in the car industry. And that's, go- that's have- had a serious rethink now about mm-hmm. saying, okay, well, maybe we actually should be carrying a few months' worth of… Um, Worth of parts and and supplies, so that if something does happen, we're not in this position of you know your, your two dollar chip preventing your your fifty thousand car fifty thousand dollar car from being sold.
1: Mm. Yep, that's that's right. a one off though. So yes, that will yeah. be a cyclical one. Yep. Um, uh, and then uh, you know we come to the sort of flip side of fading government stimulus that we had as cyclical, and that is you know modern monetary theory and the fight against inequality. Uh, We do expect fiscal support will be higher than it was in the previous low-flationary cycle. And we're seeing this play out most clearly in the US, although it's even managed to permeate, uh, you know, the the, uh, uh, halls of austerity in Brussels, but but, uh, nowhere near to the same degree. Uh, So, you know... We're going to see, we've got a $1.9 trillion package at the moment in the US that may probably get watered down a little, but it's certainly going to come through pretty strongly. And then following that, they'll move immediately probably to a trillion dollars worth of infrastructure stimulus. Uh, and all of these things are, are designed very much to fight inequality, um, to to get uh, low-end wages rising. Uh, we we Uh, and to fight Trumpism, basically. Mm. I mean, I think this is principally uh, the democratic strategy to keep Trump uh, out of power in two years and four years. And if they succeed in doing that, he's pretty much a dead duck because I think he'd be too old beyond that. So we can expect, certainly expect ongoing support uh, more than we did in in the... um, Secular stagnation cycle, as it was called over the last ten years. However, it's also clear that MMT is far from embedded uh, in policy circles. There's still a lot of skepticism from uh, all sorts of quarters, whether that be, uh, you know, um, old school um, monetarists um, or, you know, people who don't like government spending, um, likes who who you know are maybe big on small business and, and small on, on government deficits, whatever it happens to be, there's still plenty of resistance to it. Uh, and for instance, there are no real universal universal basic incomes uh, coming forth. Uh, and, you know, there's progress on this front, but it does not look like it's new black yet um, to me. Uh, as we go into the cycle and I will, My conclusion ultimately in this discussion will be that after a year or two of inflation, we expect a return of low inflationary dynamics. Then at that point, we'll probably get a better test of how embedded this MMT business is. Uh, because we'll, we'll be forced to go for another round of pretty, pretty decent stimulus if it's going to uh, persist and, and make a structural change to inequality. So uh, it is a structural change, but I just don't think it is deep enough yet to, to rely upon for uh, you know, ongoing inflationary dynamics. That said, uh, you know, embedded in this $1.9 trillion stimulus at the moment are U.S. minimum wage rises, mm. which we, which we think are terrific. Um, uh, there's a big brouhaha at the moment over uh, between the two parties in the U.S. about how they'll actually settle. Um, the Dems are looking at trying to more or less double it, I think, from $7.50 to $15 over about five years. Uh, you know, kind of a uh, that those numbers may not be precise, but they're roughly right, and you know sort of a dollar a year or a dollar fifty a year uh the 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 um uh the Republicans counted with i think ten dollars over five years uh and so there's still plenty of distance between the two uh, mm-hmm. uh and I
2: think as well it's worth noting that there there are a lot of states that already have minimum wages so that are a lot higher than yeah. than than the seven fifty 750
1: 750. yeah there are uh, but they're a lot below it. <laughs> Well, yes. Well. yes. Yeah,
2: and, and the other thing is, um, the, the studies that are out there are basically saying a ten percent rise in the minimum wage, they think causes about point two five percent of inflation over the next two years. So you're sort of, um, yeah. You're right. yeah so, so I think it's sort of point one eight in the first year and point something in the second year so mm. so while it 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 feels like it would be very inflationary the the actual effects are not particularly inflationary they're um, not
1: and you and you you do get offsets as well like you do get some job losses that come out of minimum wage increases but they're they're actually quite minor mm. uh, and they're more than offset by the increasing standard of living for those that get the wage hike, uh, and that increases demand, obviously, which produces more jobs. So you you see a little bit of uh, uh, diminishing um, uh, of jobs, but but it's really quite small uh, in reference to most studies. Uh, So it's well worth doing and and politically is essential, basically, for the health of capitalism. So... uh, Hopefully the Dems will get some something pretty good up and running on that front you know uh, is it can it turn that turn into wage push inflation uh, look, I suppose it could it would certainly if they get a decent one up and running um, then you know that is certainly going to sustain the the u s inflation impulse a little more than elsewhere at the margin and but then you come back to what I was discussing earlier, where you've already got the US with a growth and yield advantage. If it's got an inflation, you, uh, uh, an inflation advantage as well, then you're going to see a rising US dollar, and so you'll see, uh, as a result, you know, other deflationary results of it. Um, mm. which, yeah. In terms of worldwide and, and inflation. In
2: you know. Yeah, and keep in mind what i was saying. You know, that if you if you've got a 10% rise every year, say, for the next, whatever, seven years, eight years, in in terms of the minimum wage to get you to to those numbers. And that just means an extra 0.25% of inflation, effectively. Mm. Um, It's not a big, uh, it's not a big, it's not a huge, um, you know, we're we're so far below the, the, in recent years, we've been so far (sighs) below that extra 025 is not like it would have pushed you over the edge of anything.
1: No, that's right. Um, so, so again, it, it is it is higher inflation at the margin, but we don't see it as as uh, creating a wage push cycle. Um, uh, and the sorry,
2: actually, un- I should just define what David means by wage push cycle is what we saw in the seventies and sort of early eighties, where um, wages would go up by four or five percent per annum or more because inflation—that's what inflation was—or actually, yeah, it's probably seven or eight percent per annum because inflation was five or six percent. Yep. And then that would mean that inflation went up again, so that then wages would need to go up again, and and the spiral just kept on going, where you know, you needed to sort of break the break the link between them. Mm. Once once that's once you sort of broke that link, then you then you went went in the opposite direction.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the other structural force, of course, is the ongoing virus disruption. So all, everything that we've seen on the supply side, etc., and described in this prezo so far, uh, could could end up happening all over again if we get some, some mutations uh, that that manage to dodge the vaccine. I should rather say when we do and how they're going to be managed is obviously going to determine uh, the vector for inflation uh, through those disruptions. But, you know, you could potentially see uh, repeats of the kind of supply-side crunches that we've had uh, here and there if if the virus gets out. New, new viruses get out. Uh, hmm. so, so I guess the upshot of all that is, you know, in terms of the strength of uh, inflationary pulse at the moment, we're definitely building into uh, a pretty decent spike. Uh, over the next six to 12 months, especially the next six months, because we'll have all the base effects from last year's crash in inflation. And if you're referring back to Damo's original chart on page one, where we see the catch-up spike. Uh, and so that's going to be pretty decent and uh, is going to freak a few people out. But the structural drivers of inflation uh, are still not persuasive enough to see that turning into cyclically sustainable
2: and it's and important to note central banks have said that they're going to ignore this inflation they've already pre-said you know this you know we need to see sustained we know there's a spike coming and all that type of stuff and that's yep. that's um that's true but it's 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 obviously going to be different when it's 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 much easier to say that when you've got deflation or zero percent inflation saying no, no we're going to look through this 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 spike when we are printing three or four percent inflation things for for one or two periods They'll they'll obviously be more pressure on them to saying well what you know if if inflation stays where it is or goes higher will you and then central banks will probably say well yes if inflation <laughs> if inflation yeah you know, we're expecting to keep it on hold because it's temporary but yes if this stays where it is or goes higher we will be raising rates um, that's where you know markets we expect markets will will take those statements as being yeah rate rises are coming you know up goes yeah. um, whereas uh, well, the more likely Scenario is is what we're coming to. This is a deflation side.
1: Yes, so so we're going to have a short term inflation spike. Um, we don't think it turns into sustained inflation, and in fact, we see like quite big deflationary forces. So, which I guess this discussion is really about how long the spike lasts before these deflationary forces come to bear again. Uh, so, in,
2: and, and this- I guess it is worth noting though before we get off the inflation is is it is it completely possible that we could have. Um- Uh, That this inflation could morph into something bigger, but it's going to need to be a lot. There's going to be a lot more. There's going to need to be a lot more stimulus than what we're
0: seeing at
1: the moment. Mm. Yes, in our view. Do you want to do wages there? Uh, Yeah,
0: deflation. This is yeah. We've got a. Terrific chart up here from the Reserve Bank. One of my favourites. Um, it shows yeah. that they they're, yeah. they're- terrific. So
1: long as you don't work there.
0: Yeah, yeah at least in yeah. this area, they, these guys couldn't forecast a pie in a bakery. But, well,
2: um- uh, having said that, and it's it's worth um, it's worth giving it some credit for actually showing it though. In terms of their <laughs> um, yeah, it's I think it's a it's a it's a uh, a great at least it's starting to get them along. It got them along the lines of going maybe we're doing something wrong. Which is a which is a good a good realization reflection. to have. The yeah. first step is to admit you have a problem, and then you can start solving it. Whereas, for for a long time, there um, what would happen is there was this forecast that in, uh, wages wage inflation was going back to four percent, and then wages would fall, and then they'd say, "Oh, no, next year it's going to go to four percent." The next, and then the wages would fall again, and then and they gradually sort of ease themselves down to like, oh, maybe it's three and a half percent, and maybe it's three percent, and and every year it was just like keep on forecasting this this snapback in wages that just never came. And and that's what um, yeah you know, we're coming back to is, would it is it is it likely that we've actually that things have changed um, to snap us out of this this low um, this low wage growth when we've actually got much higher unemployment than what we had beforehand and and some big bits of structural change and. Um, uh for us you know we we can't see anything that's fundamentally changed and and if anything it looks like um yeah you know, the factors that were driving wages de- down are are going to be there for for even longer so yeah. so getting that wage growth back up again is 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 um is going to be difficult with high un- 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 unemployment let alone um not making the structural changes that were sort of causing um that to happen in the first place
1: i mean there is one interesting component to this in Australia's case is is uh The cessation of mass immigration will certainly provide relief to the permanent labour market supply shock that we put ourselves into, which is a fancy way of saying that there are just a lot more people competing for jobs coming from offshore, uh, many of whom coming out of developed markets were happy to work in worse conditions and for lower wages on temporary visas, etc. And all of that, or an awful lot of that, uh, was killed by the virus. Uh, and so, you know, we've we faced an interesting question if we manage to get through a, a year or two of rebounding growth uh, where, you know, unemployment is, is starting to come down uh, persuasively, um, whether that might generate some wage price inflation more quickly than the previous cycle. Uh, but that's offset, of course, by uh the more open we are and the more that becomes a possibility, uh, the more likely the current federal government will be to uh to immediately reopen the borders and, and re inject uh, uh temporary workers into the economy. So uh those two probably cancel each other.
2: And and, and when you said current yeah, and when you say the current federal government, uh, I think it's the same if the opposition was in power. They're still looking okay, for it more is, people as well, aren't they?
1: It's actually better on the other side these days. Um, they've become more, much more sceptical about uh, temporary visas, uh, uh, even to the point now where uh, the new Roscano book, uh, which is out this week, Reset, uh, demands a, a big cut in temporary work visas. Uh uh, and he and, was, and pre- he he was previously we'll have, Sorry,
2: we'll have Ross on. We'll have Ross on on the eighteenth to talk about that as well. So he's coming uh, out in we'll three be weeks, among,
1: among other mm. things. Uh, mm. And so there is a pivot in the Labor Party away from uh, a sort of one-eyed view of all mass immigration being good, uh, and uh, that will affect uh, wages. It doesn't. It doesn't help. Uh, the other pressures that come from population growth, because um, temporary workers leave, of course, and if you sustain high immigration, permanent migration, then you'll have the other pressures that that brings: house prices, and, uh, uh, choked infrastructure, etc. But it will aid wages. So, uh, if we get a change of government, then it's possible that Australia will see better wages growth. Um, That's it. You know, it wouldn't I couldn't see it tearing away, but it, but it may not look like this disastrous chart so much.
0: Just a quick question on that one as well. So you know, let's say for example, um, as you say, tightened tightened labour, higher wages. You'd feel it could turn into inflation if people want to convert that into spending power. But what about things like deleveraging, paying down our enormous? Uh, I, I don't understand you know, the question. That, no? What's is, what is this deleveraging you talk about? <laughs> I that's...
1: Are, are we, we are actually doing quite a lot yeah. of deleveraging. Yeah. Right? yeah. But it's being, um, well, it's not being swamped. We're paying down debts as 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 other people take them out, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a lot of rotation in the banks. Yeah,
2: but, uh, but you're right. In terms of it, it's the high savings rate at the moment, which is it's yeah, preventing that inflation, spending. You inflationary that, push. need that you need that demand to come through. Yeah, yeah, yes. And if you you're do. not getting the demand, then um, yeah, people are, are not spending their money because they're saving it to pay off Paying loans. Off. Then, yeah, then yeah, that yeah. that yeah flows through the rest of the economy. Yep.
1: And yeah. so, so for the time being, at least, we think that uh, the wages position will be pretty deflationary. Um, so that that brings us to deflation factor number two and this one's this one's the big one for me in a global sense uh basically we think that china is already hitting the brakes on its on its uh stimulus uh and so it's the best measure of that is is its broad credit Um, total social financing, which these days uh, has uh, local government bonds included in it, so it therefore incorporates a lot of infrastructure as well as household loans and and, uh, therefore uh, the property market and that's they're really the big two when it comes to the bulk commodity drivers. Uh, And it's now been falling for three months and there's been you know, a number of different uh, kind of prudential tightening measures put in as well on developers uh, and on housing loans uh, that started in January. Uh, so I expect that trend to basically increase as we we go forward into the year, uh, principally because I think if you... I don't think we've got the chart. No, I didn't put it in, actually. But if we looked at a chart of Chinese exports, they've gone absolutely nuts over the last year. Like, For a year or two before that, uh, Chinese manufacturers were really in the doldrums through the trade war with the US. Mm. Uh, But the, the pandemic was just massive for them because we had this, as we've discussed, this huge swing towards goods. Demand in developed economies, and Chinese uh, production of those goods was, uh, just went nuts. Um, so that mm. as, as that, and,
2: and also China was had a much better virus experience. So so, yes. so we're were available shut to down make things. Yeah, so not a, with a. Do we want more stuff? Um, the manufacturing
1: was manufacturing. shut down
2: in a lot of countries, but but still open in China.
1: Definitely. Yeah, and so that's going to persist through this year as the developed economies reopen first the US and then later Europe. Uh, And so it's going to have a very robust export sector this year. And so it can basically, you know, gross stabilisation has been achieved and it can now, you know, return to what has been its long term goal, which is economic restructuring and trying to get away from this supply side debt addiction that it's had, which is, you know, basically overbuilding uh, apartments uh, and and roads and bridges to nowhere. So uh, I already see them getting back to that and I think it will intensify as the year goes on and then so that brings you to the conclusion that despite a lot of the rhetoric around uh, this commodities super cycle that we're going to see uh, it's going to confront a Chinese brick wall within six months of falling demand um, specifically for iron ore uh, and coke and coal but more broadly than that too I would expect uh, things to start to just simply slow in China. So for instance, this year we'll probably do 8% GDP. I think next year it'll be well under six, probably near a five. Uh, and it's very big. So I'm not talking about demand falling off a cliff, but I'm I am talking about it diminishing. So, you know, um, that that's going to hit a lot of commodities uh, demand, just as we're supposedly ramping up new supply with these skyrocketing prices and so this is why we see one of the key reasons why we see the commodity recovery as a cyclical phenomenon not a structural one because if you don't have a permanent new source of demand as we did from kind of 2000 ish as china entered the global economy uh, which then creates the need for a whole caboodle of new supply permanently uh, then what you've got is just a cyclical recovery that will will diminish over time and And so commodity prices should come off and that that will be if that if that happens more or less commodity prices start to come off six to six eight nine months after china starts tightening credit and so this this means you should have pretty significant falls going into 2022 starting through the second half of this year but especially 2022 and then you get the absolute reverse of what we've got this year with the base effects. So you come into 2022 with really high prices last year and then rapidly diminishing diminishing ones this year and so suddenly your inflation pulse turns uh, deflationary. Uh, I think that applies to oil as well which is obviously the big one in terms of uh, developing economies as well. Um, Goldman and uh, Wall Street is out there celebrating a new super cycle for oil. I think that's bullshit too. Uh, partly that story will be about China, but partly as well, that's again a cyclical recovery and demand meeting, you know, 10 million barrels of oil per day being off the market. And that will simply start to pour back in and compete for market share uh, as um, as the price rises. So I see the same thing happening for oil uh damo you want to go for expectations
2: yeah so i've got got two charts here one's um this is this one's the the first one's the australian inflation expectations um which is a consumer-based um one and you can just see there that uh the 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 expectations for the last sort of uh five ten years has been substantially lower than what it was the the previous five or ten years so um people tend to think of inflation, when you ask consumers how much inflation they're expecting, they tend to very much overstate um, what it the is. inflation they're expecting versus actual inflation. Mm. Um, but it, what's clear is that, the the levels of inflation that are expected at the moment is significantly below what it, what they were before, and what that means is when people are going for pay rises and 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 even just their own you know they're, they're running uh, businesses and they're working out how much they think they can increase goods. Um, if everyone's expecting five percent inflation, then they'll want to be putting their 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 wages up by five percent, or they'll want to be incre- increasing prices by five percent if they're running businesses. When you when you're um, expecting uh, you know. Two percent, two or three percent inflation um, is obviously much lower, and so there's certainly no signs that um, inflation expectations are are um, in in any way elevated relative to where they've been, um, you know, relative to where they were 20 years ago mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we when we last saw inflation uh, particularly high. And then if you jump to another type of one, now this is I'm looking using the U.S. numbers here. Um, this is the implied inflation. It's the five year it's it's basically if you go if you look at look at market pricing five years in the future and then work out how much inflation is expected for the next five years after that period so it's quite a long term look at uh, long term pricing of inflation and you can see again so this is the u s numbers um there's certainly no um you know it's the same same thing the last five ten years um has been significantly lower than what it was the previous um sort of twenty years and there's no signs that that you've reverted back to your sort of early 2000s um you know or or 1990s you know higher inflation so um so I guess what we're saying there is that um uh there's a, a certain amount of deflation is 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 within expectations if if people are expecting inflation they'll they'll price it in and mm. central banks have done a good job of convincing or such a good job of convincing people that inflation will be kept a lid on that, um, you know, that those expectations haven't been getting away and they're certainly um, not so that they never will, but, but at the moment um, they're pretty firmly anchored in their, in their sort of the range of the last few years. Hmm. Yep. Um, and then we go to other deflationary factors. Uh, so oh, a whole bunch of ones here. We could have put charts up on this, but we'd already, Put up a lot of charts. So um, <laughs> the technology. Look, we had a long, um, had a long chat with um, Booth. Uh, sorry, with Booth. Yeah, with uh, Mike, Michael Booth. Uh, no, um, um, sorry. Anyway, uh, we had him on Jeff Booth. Jeff Booth. Jeff Booth. Sorry, a we had yeah, we had him on a gone. show um, probably six months ago, just talking about that whole technological Sorry, deflation. He's got he's got a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of good charts and a lot of things that just showing that um, the more you're reliant on technology and the more processes are automated, which which we are finding more and more, um, those those costs tend to come down year after year after year, and that sort of embeds um, deflation into your uh, into your economy. And and the technological changes are, are accelerating. And so that sort of means that we've got this, this overhang that you need to overcome um, of technological deflation that's out there. Uh, commodity speculation, Dave? On back to you.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess as China slows, and uh, this is related to US outperformance as well, I think as China slows and US outperformance comes to bear through the second half of the year, uh, and therefore the US dollar stops falling and even starts rising, Uh the entire thesis of a commodity super-cycle evaporates, and so everybody pouring into commodities to hedge inflation driven by commodities just reverses. Yes. It's the It's the end of the financial flows into commodities.
2: Yeah, and all and all those yeah, and all that I was talking about it before. You know, all these traders jumping in to buy copper before copper price goes up or whatever, and then eventually they sit there and start going, well, okay, the copper price has either gone up or it's or it's, or it's stopped rising, and so now I've got to start selling because otherwise I'm just sitting on this thing for no reason, and yeah. they, um, that that drives prices.
1: Or, bit, or, or in the case of iron ore, you just get new more supply comes back. Uh, like cuz there's a whole lot of brownfield stuff that they can reopen uh which is another mm-hmm. difference between now and, and a genuine super cycle is there's a lot of idle supply all over the place and everything mm-hmm. uh and and then suddenly in fundamental terms you you've got enough the price starts falling and then the speculators get caught on the wrong side of the boat and they all pile out yeah uh
2: zombie hangover
1: so this one's this one's really big <laughs> uh you know, if you if you look at um, you know kind of high yield debt in the US or emerging markets, there's zero stress. Right now, this is this is a quite a phenomenon, given we've just been through the worst economic shock in uh, many many decades. Uh, uh, this is because the Fed is sitting on these markets and other central banks, and this is where uh, QE becomes a self. Uh, self-defeating phenomenon because by controlling uh, the yield and risk in everything, it means that nobody, uh, the risk is never priced in debt, and so the the uh, weak players in any given market never go out of business. And uh, this this actually derails one of the key drivers of um, of constructive capitalism, which is um, creative destruction. And that cycle is supposed to drive out, you know, the crappy and weak players over over the stress of a recession and the misallocated capital, etc. So that the efficient and good players um, are then in a position, you know, to sell more, to bring uh, prices down, to uh, uh, increase their margins, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so you you know you get better productivity, better income for everybody. They invest more. Uh, and so the whole of society kind of moves forward, yeah, you know. In a virtual cycle. But what you get now with, with all of this artificially suppressed risk is nobody goes out of business. So ultimately you end up with too much supply. And right now when we've got all of these extraordinary tailwinds coming out of the shock, and the new cycle and the stimulus, etc. None of this matters. But fast forward 18 months, two years, when these things start to fade, uh, the the you know the fact that we clean none of this stuff out over this cycle will start to become a very dominant factor for the uh, the unfolding cycle. And you will have too much supply again in everything, uh, and everybody's struggling to get any kind of purchasing power. Uh, and so you you end up back in a, a secular stagnation and low inflation environment.
2: And that that's sort of a little bit dovetails into the flat supply curve, but what I, what I meant by the next that next one was was more about um, there is a lot of goods out there that are available to be sold um, uh, you know from in terms of China if you know, if you want to buy cheap plastic toys um, and the world all of a sudden wants, or the world over a few years, wants to double the, the cheap plastic toys that they had um, from five years ago, um, there is, China can produce it and, and leverage up its factories and, and pump it out um, at the same price as what you used to get it. They don't need to, it's not like you all of a sudden need to double the price of all these cheap plastic toys because they don't have enough plastic or they don't have enough uh, moulds or, or or people to, to, to do it. It's it's There's really just this timing issue in terms of um, the, the globalisation and um and the outsourcing of manufacturing around the world, and now the outsourcing of because of work from home, um, now you can start outsourcing, you know, your IT jobs or your, you know, um, your more of these ones. If I've got somebody working from home, they may as well be working from home in, you know, uh, in India or, or or the Philippines or wherever, somewhere else where where people can actually get lower prices, lower priced employees, which sort of puts a, a cap on those how much you can raise prices. Um, because you've got what we call this flat supply curve. You want to, you want to add more, more production, more capacity, and there's just a, an almost infinite amount of capacity available there because the whole world is, is, is linked and, and, and available. available.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, and then we've got our old two bugbears of high levels of debt and inequality. Um, first one, obviously, uh, you know, saps uh, spending power over time, uh, and inequality. Uh, you know, it is a case where if you start to concentrate too much of your wealth and income in the hands of too few people, then, uh, you know, the demand levels in your economy simply fall away. Uh, and again, that's deflationary because you've got too much supply. Uh, so uh, that's that's some pretty, pretty serious structural challenges to inflation. Just no, sorry, the
2: last one... U.S. U.S. dollar outperformance as well as rather. Uh, right. Oh right. Uh, so
1: yeah, I second. covered that one with commodity speculation, but but yes, I mean that's that's deflationary globally in the sense that uh, capital comes out of everywhere else into the U.S. Uh, and and really hits commodity prices. Just, yep.
2: just, okay, just, so so how do you invest then? That's oh, it, well, just just time. one
0: last one. Just um, sorry, just quickly on the deflation piece, um, uh, energy price deflation. Yes. Is that is that what Andrew? You've got the the Green New Deal coming out. You've got the ability to create solar for nothing versus uh yeah. high cost coal it's, and
2: it's not as much of an issue in, in US or China as was what it is in Australia.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because Australia energy prices are so high and, and Europe to a to a certain extent as well has got high energy prices, they they just don't have as quite as good solar um resources there. Uh is what we'll see is Australia's sort of the, the front of this in terms of we've seen um Certainly, over the last year, just more and more solar plus batteries and 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 do we put on we need more supply we need more you know um peaking power or whatever do we put another gas fired power plant on or do we just build some more batteries and more and more um the batteries and that that 's coming down in cost. so it's to me yeah. to us that's a okay. leap
1: Australian Australian uh, electricity prices at least are no longer high that, that, all of that new supply has killed the price over the last twelve months.
2: Yeah, tell my and, energy it, provide, and it's got, it's, that, it's <laughs> got that lid, it's put the lid on the prices so that, that that's now just coming down over time. So we, we think, um, you know, absent some short-term spikes, um, Australian electricity prices have pretty much peaked mm. um, and, and will just come gradually down
1: over the next sort of 15, 20 years. The, the, the thing gas is, price is different. That's still a, still a big fat cartel garden yeah. gouge, but yeah. at least the electricity market has been largely deal decoupled from the gas supply shock. Yeah.
2: Mm. yeah. Now, the US already has um, uh, much cheaper energy than what Australia does, about half the cost. Mm. Um, right. So they will get there, but not yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so the I guess the issue for um, – and China is similar in terms of – and partly because it's a lot of it is subsidised in China, but um, you're going to see that energy prices in um, Europe – over the next few years, will peak. Um, possibly, I mean, it might, they might have already peaked. But you know, if, if they peaked in the over the next sort of three or four years, I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised. Um, and then then they're sort of up against this technological curve. Mm-hmm. Australia is pretty much up against the technological curve already. Yep. Um, the US probably won't be there for five to ten years okay. because they've got they've, they've got such cheap so gas cheap. Yeah, gas yeah, yeah. and and cheap coal as well. In the middle of um. Uh, in the middle of the US, and yep. the, you know, some nuclear power and other bits and pieces. So, um, they will get they will get there, but um, but not yet. Okay,
0: all right, very good. Thanks for that. Uh, how to invest? Sorry, yeah, yeah so this, this is one. this is important part. Where so, do we pick okay, the money? so, so, <laughs> so we're we're pretty certain about this, but we're
2: not we're not absolutely certain about the timing of the inflation. So, um, so it is an issue about saying, and, and, and we are pretty certain that. Um, there's going to be an inflationary shock where people are going to be pricing in inflation, and over the last few days, even we've just seen this—you um, know—it's gone a bit exponential over the last few days. So quite possibly, this is a—you know—we might be talking at the the at, at a local high, if you know what I mean. And then mm-hmm. we might we might see bond yields come back down again um, before before going I think, again. I think we go
1: further, but yeah, I, I, I think
2: well over the next six months. I think I guess what I'm saying over the next couple of days or, or the next couple of weeks, you know, we might be at a local high because it's certainly gone. Pr- uh, parabolic over the last um, week or two but um, we are expecting those bond yields to keep rising there will be then an opportunity to buy back in and at the longer end and, and take advantage of those, um, those longer term bond yields falling yep so um, you know within our portfolios you know everything's all in the very short term stuff that's all um, you know um,
1: protected by the but- rba <laughs>
2: Yeah. well, sorry, but not all but mostly. Yeah, yep. we're mostly huddled in the sort of two-year bonds and protected by the RBA as David said, and then there will be a time to buy those longer ones. Um it is a question of when and and it really now it's about how how much markets start pricing in. Mm. Um and there's a certain there's only a certain amount um they can price in before we're going to start seeing central banks stepping in and starting starting yield to con-
0: curve control anyway. Well, and that's a question. Obviously, they've started. Well, the Aus- Australia last year sort of doing that landmark decision to actually kick off the for the first time ever open market operations at the at the short end, and then it seems to be and increasing. Now, but, and, well, they, yeah, they're, they're spending, they're spending it in the long
2: term, but but yeah. it, they've um it's been ineffectual at the long end. So because um. That's driven by global forces, yep. and um, the RBA hasn't managed to keep the long end of the bond out, d- despite targeting it. Yep. Um, no, yeah, I, think our, they,
1: I think they'll march out there before long.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But I, I guess what we're saying is, in the bonds, um, it's look there'll be an opportunity, but it's not yet. Mm. And so, um, and and it's you know we still have that little bit of uncertainty that maybe you, you do start seeing more MMT type policies come out or or yellen's got a much bigger expansion plan from you know helping debt states or 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 local governments to to borrow more or or whatever that that we can't see yet that will actually cause inflation to 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 actually take hold and and to get a proper cycle going
1: Mm -hmm. um i think i I got like a five trillion new green deal going or something it'd be yeah game changer
2: but but it might be and when you say um when David's saying five trillion, it might not be headlined as five trillion. It might be five trillion trillion, but it's it's more likely to be five trillion behind the scenes that you don't see because um local governments are out there borrowing one and a half trillion and okay. and and states are out borrowing another two trillion and, and then the 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 feds are chipping in one one and a half trillion. So it might be might look like one and a half trillion, but when you add up all the little bits below it 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 actually ends up being a lot bigger. So yep. so we can't discount that happening. Which is why it's not time now to say, "Okay, you know I'll take a loss I'm happy to take a loss if if bronze yields keep on going and 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 jump into the long end at the moment. Mm. I think it's well worth um being more cautious and and just waiting on the bonds yep um that sort of means it's a similar story then for your value versus growth it means you need more value uh less growth in your portfolio, but you're going to get these opportunities to buy. Um, growth stocks over the next few over the next few months or 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 a year or two at a che- at a much cheaper price because if we do return to deflation, those growth stocks are once again going to be It'd in, in demand. So it is a matter of having the growth stocks you like, but um, you know there's 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 ones out there that are priced at you know incredible multiples at the moment and have been falling recently. Um, we're expecting that to keep going for a few few months, and so you know price you need to be quite picky about what price you're buying you and know, not just you know always with growth is is the key is about it's it's never about um it's not never about sorry The it is important to get the story right but it's it's just as important to get the price right so we'll go back to the cisco example that i keep trotting out you know the last 20 years they've increased their earnings six times and their share price has halved because the price was so high to start with to start in the tech boom so it's a matter of getting that price right um and then so yeah so the moment it's for us it's on the value trade and then you want to flick back into that growth later on in the year mm-hmm. um there are some exceptions the aussie dollar though um again the same story aussie dollar's got the momentum behind it um we've got more you know a, a decent bit more australian stocks in our portfolio than what we do international stocks but you're going to get a price you're, you're getting chances to buy international stocks at cheaper prices over the next six to 12 months you know if you can buy these with a an aussie dollar of 80 or 85 cents mm-hmm. um Here's your chance to to start, you know, getting exposure to international assets that are going to be very beneficial over the longer term, at, at a discount because the Aussie dollar is um is, is so high. Yep. Okay. Very um, good. Dave, did you have any?
1: No, that's about right. Um, you know, I flop around day to day between thinking the Aussie is going to stop in the low 80s or go to the mid 80s. Uh, I still don't think it'll get much higher than mid, uh, but that's quite right at the moment we're we're long Aussie or overweight Aussie um because we think that continues for a while and um when it reaches sort of unsustainable levels we'll be looking to pick up those assets Yeah.
2: and in terms of exceptions there are some exceptions within sectors um and it's worth noting that you know there there's ones like there's ones where um where we're reluctant holders I guess so we've we've got a, a lot more banks than what we we feel like we we'd like to have but um, you know, we've just got to recognise that in in this in in a rising um, long term bond environment, it is good for bank profitability and bank pricing will will therefore be driven up. And that's mm-hmm. one you know we're certainly looking to to exit that uh, a lot sooner, just given that we have more concerns over um, sort of asset quality and whether there could be issues um, in terms of asset quality, um, and and also the the thought that you know, if we are in this deflation and um, Yes, we're all headed towards the the european and and J- japan experience um then the banks are really going to be the ones that suffer from um you know, those flat um those flat yield curves mm-hmm. but for the moment you know there's a there's there's a little bit of a, there's a bit of a trade in there um and there are some other sectors um uh commodities we've sort of been a little bit in and out of but that's same thought about there's a there's a value trade in there but it's not an infinite value trade and and we we are concerned about the downside as well as the upside. So, you know, um, iron ore, for example, you know, we, two or three months ago, we we held a bit of it, um, and and even names that we sort of like Fortescue or something, quite higher risk ones that we we traditionally wouldn't have owned, um, but we've 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 sort of started tipping tipping out of those because the price has got the iron ore price has got um, pretty close to as high as we think it's going to get, mm-hmm. and the downside risk sort of is starting to. Um, uh, you know way on the upside opportunity and so you know we're happy not to not to try and squeeze every every last drop out of that sort of value lemon and um but you know we th- we think there's a bit of um uh you know, with exceptions we
0: think there's still room to go on on that value trade very good uh, we've got our. Uh, I think we've probably covered off a little bit on our investment outlook. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll <laughs> we'll leave it up we'll there just as uh, as wrote right. Thanks very much, gentlemen, for a great show. Just mindful of time too, we have run over a little bit on this uh, very, uh, very full inflation uh, look in. So thanks again for coming along, David. Pleasure. Excellent. Great. great to be back. It is. It is. And thanks to you, Damien, as well for your thoughts. And uh, we'll jump into our question of the week. So the question of the week is, are you worried about inflation? Feel free to drop in your thoughts in the YouTube box. Uh, We always enjoy reading your comments uh, and gives us a little bit of guidance on uh, what our uh, listenership, I guess, is is, is feeling as well. So uh, feel free to drop those in there. Thanks again to all those who have uh, watched in live for another great episode, and I hope you've taken away some great ideas. And if you haven't already, feel free to click like on the video to give us some feedback. Uh, if you'd like to see more of our content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content to stay up to date on news from us. Follow us on social media. And finally, if you know anyone who would gets something out of today's episode, let them know about it, share with a friend, and help our show grow. Thanks for tuning in from myself, Tim Fuller, and the team, and we look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers.